Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Thank you for being here. I was thinking about this earlier. Um, you know, the gospel hits you at different times. Uh, it hits you sometimes after a sermon. Sometimes it hits you in moments of prayer. You just never know. And if you ever feel the need to respond, I hope you'll call one of us. Say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I need your prayers. There's not a one of us that wouldn't uh, love to give you a, a pat on the back, a hug, a, a prayer that you need. And, uh, and so I, I encourage you to do that. Our shepherds and their wives will be at the back following the sermon. If you feel like you need to talk to them, they would be more than happy. Uh, to visit with you. I decided, you know, anytime you talk about love, you sound so flip. And, and you know, I can say, oh, you need to love one another. And everybody, oh, yeah, 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 I've heard this before. And so I decided to, to, to look at some of the great philosophers of the world. And, and one of them that I found was this one. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Husbands, don't you believe that? This one, the Beatles, all you need is love and water and food and money. Clothing. Uh, well, it was a, one of the groups that I remember hearing somebody sing, all I need is the air that I breathe and to love you, you know. And so uh, that's, that's not very good uh, uh, philosophy. Charlie Brown said, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. <laughs> I really don't know how to transition from that into the rest of the sermon, so I'll just I'll just go on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and I've referred to this passage an awful lot, but I think it's, it's becoming, to me at least, one of the most important uh, passages that I see in Scripture. Starting in verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we're out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love compels us. I always have to stop there and just, just contemplate that for just a, just a few moments. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
And again, I've got to stop right there because what that's saying is I don't see people the way that I used to. I used to see people as, as, as sloths and jerks and things like that. And he says, no, I want you to see people the way God sees them. That's a tall order, isn't it? To see people the way God sees them. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And the old is gone and the new is here. And all this from God who reconciled in himself, uh, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Boy, that's that's a great word. Reconciliation. When you have two friends that continue to argue and and then they fight and and they have have been uh, put apart, separated by the the disagreements they have. But then there's reconciliation. And he goes on as he talks about this and says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Darrell mentioned this earlier. That the whole point of the relationship is that God wants to have that relationship. Hunter uh, mentioned that also. The relationship that God wants with us. It's not just, a, as, as we say, a phone call, but a relationship. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Can I put another phrase in there? Have a relationship with God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Paul talks about this reconciliation stuff all throughout his ministry, and he doesn't just talk about it. He actually practices it. He wrote the book of Philippians. And, and, and there's some debate as to why he wrote the book of Philippians. You read through it, there's a lot of stuff on unity in there. But he comes to this passage right towards the end, and he says, I plead with Yodia, I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are are in the book of life. I could make a case that says the entire book of Philippians is about the argument that these two are having. That Paul is saying, listen, I want you all to be reconciled. I want you all to have this relationship one with another. And he brings it to conclusion, to climax in in chapter 4 and says... I want you to bring these people together. What was the problem? I have no idea. But it wasn't worth it. There was a relationship split. And Paul says, whatever it is, it's not worth it. And the entire book of Philemon is a story 
about a runaway slave. And Paul implores Philemon to take Onesimus back. This has not anything to do, but I love this. The name Onesimus means useful. And Paul says to him, at one point he probably wasn't too useful to you, but now he is useful. But he spends that entire book, which is only a chapter long, and he says, listen, I want you to take him back. Some say he stole from Philemon. Some say he just ran away. Really, it doesn't matter. What matters is bringing them together again. Paul uses his influence to bring them together to love one another. In fact, he says to Philemon, he says, not that you owe me your own life. (laughs) But he says, whatever it is, it's not important. What is important is relationship. So this reconciliation thing wasn't something that Paul just wrote about. He believed in it. You want another example? I knew you did. Um, Paul spends the entire book of 1 Corinthians talking about things uh, that we even discuss today. We still struggle with some of the issues uh, that we see in 1 Corinthians. And, and it's kind of interesting as you, as you look at 1 Corinthians and you see the things that are going on. He talks about all kinds of things. And as I said, we kind of deal with those issues even today. But it's interesting to me because right in the middle of all this, right in the middle of this discussion comes chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. It almost seems out of place. Because he's talking about all this doctrinal stuff. In chapter 14, what's he do? He starts talking about devotional or stuff that's, that's extremely important, doctrinal stuff again. But in chapter 13, it's like he stops right in the middle and says, you need to love one another. It's the passage that we use. He says, love is patient and love is kind. Love doesn't keep track of wrongs. And I don't know if Paul knew that there would be some kind of issue with these people in, in, in the city of Corinth. But he knew, okay, this is the place to put this chapter. And at the end, he says these famous words. And now these three remain. Faith. Well, faith is important, isn't it? We need to have faith. The reason why you're all here today is because of faith. And he says, you need to have hope. The reason why we're all here today is because of hope. And he says, you need to have love and the greatest of these. I don't want you to miss that. The greatest of these is love. And so Paul says the foundation to everything, everything that we do is love. By this point, you might be saying, you know, Jim, you're getting a little carried away here. Uh, you're, you're doing what you always do. You're becoming flip. Well, okay. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? There's a guy who falls among thieves. And there's a, a religious guy, a Levite, who comes along. And he sees him. And I don't know if he's battered and bleeding, whatever. He's along the side of the road. And the Levite says, you know what? I'm going to the other side. There he is. Woo. 
Boy, he must hurt. Then a priest comes along. You think, oh, here, here, this is the hero of the story. He's going to do something about it. He goes over to the other side, says, oh, man, oh, I got to get to Jerusalem. And a Samaritan comes along. And, and I don't think we understand the gravity of the fact that it's a Samaritan. Because these people would have just gasped in horror to hear that it was a Samaritan that was the hero of the story. And he comes along and he takes him and he binds him up. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him in and he gives money to the to the, the owner of the inn and says, listen, take care of him. And if, if, if it takes more money, I'll be back through later on and I'll, I'll pay for it. Why did he do that? Well, in Luke 10, there's an interesting story. Guy comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to, inherit, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you need to keep the commandments. And the guy says, man, hey, I've done this from my youth up. What do I like? And Jesus asks him what's written in the law. And the man says this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you know what? You answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. And the guy says, whoa, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Who's my neighbor? And so the point that Jesus is making in loving your neighbor, you love God. In this relationship kind of thing, you love God. Now, let me ask you this question. And you're going to think it's an absurd question. Maybe. Maybe. Do you love God? Amen. And I, I, I can hear you. I, you didn't really say it out loud, but I know some of you are saying, that's absurd. Of course I love God. All right. Well, let's read another passage. You know, Jim is, you know, he's going to step on toes. 1 John chapter 4. He says, starting in verse 7. I guess I can put that up on the screen. Dear friends, let us love one another. Well, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm fine with that. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves his, has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know love does not know God, because God is love. And in essence, what, what, what John is saying here is, in the dictionary that's been written, and you look up the word love, there's God's picture. Because God is love. And he goes on and says, this is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world, that he might live through him. This is love that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Now, this phrase we find all throughout John, this is how we know, or we know. Now, if you know something, you know it. And so he comes along and says, this is how we know we live in him and he in us, and he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, and if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know, there it is again, and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. He says it again. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how we know. Notice that phrase again. This is how we know. This is how love is made complete among us. So we have confidence on the day of judgment in this world. We are to be like Jesus. And there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. You love God? Well, yes, I do. Do you love your brother? Well, there's one or two that kind of get on my nerves. It's not what he says. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot, cannot, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. Okay, all right, all right. If I gotta love them, but they don't sing very well. I mean, you know, they, 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 you know, they kind of get on my nerves every once in a while. Uh, that's not what he says. It's interesting. Our relationship with God is contingent on our relationship with our brothers and sisters. Well, okay, now I hear some people saying, well, it says that we're to love our brothers and sisters, but it doesn't say anything about the people out there. I can love my brothers and sisters, those that come together, but there are some real knuckleheads out there, and I don't have to love them. Well, guess what? Let's go to Luke this time. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. But to you who are listening, this is Jesus talking, I say, love your enemies. No, you just spoil the whole thing. I just like everybody. I love everybody here. But out there, you've told me to love my enemies? Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. 
I, I came across this. Some of you read this for your devotional. Live in Grace, Walk in Love by Bob Goff. I read this last week. <clears throat> He's entitled, The Way We Treat the People We Disagree With is the Most... Uh, with the most is a report card on our faith. And he says, I've started a new practice that has revolutionized the way I see people that I don't agree with. If I hear a pastor or a politician say something really offensive, I send them a cake pop. I just scribble a note to say I was thinking about them and thought maybe they would enjoy a cake pop as much as I do. It's not a passive-aggressive thing. I can't lie. I just love cake pops. And if someone lets it rip on social media, I send them a few Jolly Ranchers and tell them to have a great day. I love those too. Takes about five minutes. I figure people who attack others are probably pretty unhappy, and cake pops and Jolly Ranchers might brighten their day. And when Jesus told us to love our enemies, he wanted us to apply the term broadly. I know this because he also told us to love our friends and neighbors, and between our friends and neighbors and enemies, that should include just about everyone. The problem is that we scoot around his command by just being polite to people who annoy us. They're not necessarily our friends or our enemies, they're just people we keep our distance from. They're watchdogs in a world where we all need a little more grace. And they're the cynics where we need champions. And they're just hard to be around. And it's a true statement that the most difficult people to love are usually the ones who need it the most. Love doesn't dishonor others. It finds a way to lift them up even when they actively push, they actively push you down. The way we treat people that we disagree with is the most important thing on our report card of faith. It's hard to know where to start, but we need to begin anyway. Why not send someone who's been difficult a cake pop? It couldn't hurt. Well, as I looked at this where it says to love our enemies, I thought, well, okay, let's... We have one word for love. I love ice cream. I love cake. I love, you notice I love all these things about food. Um, I love this. I love that. Oh, I love that chair. Oh, I love what you're wearing today. And, and, and so I'm, I'm thinking, well, that's, you know, our, our word for love is just all-encompassing, whereas Greek has all kinds. And I thought, you know what? I bet... I bet this word that says love your enemies is, is one of those that's just, you know, phileo perhaps, you know, which means um, brotherly love. I, you know, brotherly love your enemies. Sorry to break this to you, but that's not which one he uses. He uses the word agape. He says, I want you to love your enemies the way God loves you. Boy, that's a, that's a tough pill, isn't it? And I understand that there are certain people who will try our patience. Even our own children will do that. 
But the remedy for that is something that I recently saw in Jesus. I noticed as he had these people swarming around him, and you know there had to be some obnoxious people, and he had so many people that wanted and demanded part of his time, what would he do? Go off into the mountains. Sometimes that's what it takes. Perhaps he was giving us the antidote for those kind of people. You remember the passage from Acts chapter 2. At the end, verse 42 through 47, it talks about the church. And it said they had everything in common. And nobody had any needs because they took care of all of them. And, and they, they had everything in common. Well, they didn't agree on everything, but they had everything in common. And they spent time with each other. And the scripture says they enjoyed the favor of all the people. You know, maybe, maybe the world would like us more if we liked them more. Maybe they would like us more if we loved them more. In the passage where Peter's denial was predicted by Jesus, he told them a new command I give to you, to love one another as I've loved you, and so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, to love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe we need to buy some cake pops and Jolly Ranchers. Just in case. But it's all about relationship. Your computer can't have that relationship. I love that commercial. It's an it's a insurance commercial where they say, oh, he knows us. And it's a robot sitting there. And he goes, name, <laughs> you know. And the cat crawls up and he says, good dog. That's not the kind of relationship we're to have. And a computer or any kind of technology cannot have that kind of relationship as the one-on-one -on -one that we need to have with each other and with God. It's all about relationship. Let's pray. Father, we read these passages and it cuts us to the heart because we know how true they are transform us, make us into what you want us to be. And Father, help us to realize that in loving you means that we love everyone else, even our enemies. Help us to be the kind of people that, as it said in Acts 2, that the whole world, the whole world was moved by them. And may we be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.